The following program is brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment. Welcome to an hour of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. Rise and shine, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio, kicking off a full hour of delicious conversation. We're dedicated to great taste this morning. You're live on KFWB News Talk 980. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. Sit down at our kitchen table and join us for an hour of fabulous food. Unleash your inner chef because this conversation coming up is all about truly scrumptious things. We're here to make every day more delicious and we're sharing the sweet signs of spring as the ice starts to melt, we hope, across the country and flowers begin to poke out of the ground. Spring is almost here and you can gain culinary intelligence right here and right now. We're feeding your insatiable appetite this hour. Another few days. And we are officially into spring. Yes, and tomorrow a celebration that always leads into the idea of green spring, and that is St. Patrick's Day, of course. Lots of delicious inspiration, by the way, always found online. As we like to say, we serve up seconds and thirds and fourths, because to a chef, I think the greatest compliment is seconds. You'll find us at chefjamie.com, C-H-E-F-J-A-M-I-E.com. And I'd love for you to become a friend and a fan on Facebook and Twitter. Twitter at Chef Jamie Gwen. Uh, we have some delicious inspiration when it comes to St. Patty's Day to kick off this morning's conversation or food talk, as we like to call it. And whether you're feasting on tradition or you like a modern approach to this Green Day celebration tomorrow, here are our best ideas. Lana, I know you have a couple of thoughts that will make food lovers green with envy. Well, I think we should there. all don some green and honor St. Patrick. Yes, definitely so. I was trying to figure that out, going to a St. Patrick. Patrick's Day party tomorrow night, and what am I going to wear so as not to get pinched? (laughs) (laughs) Well, make sure it's on the outside. Yeah, I will. Thank you. That's Uh, a good suggestion. I love love the idea of using your slow cooker because you could start in the morning and come home to a complete meal of corned beef, cabbage, carrots, potatoes, serve it with a grainy mustard, and you have dinner on the table in the next 15 minutes. Yeah, I like that idea too, and I like the idea of feasting on tradition as I mentioned but elevating or upgrading or inspiring the recipes with something new or different so if you make a traditional corned beef in your slow cooker add something new like throw in some parsnips along with the carrots and let those cook their sweetness Mm -hmm. into the meat try a new and different vegetable Uh, work Brussels sprouts roasted and caramelized maybe into your corned beef meal as a substitute for cabbage part of the cabbage family of course and just to Add some new flavor. Oh, well, I have added new flavor to sauerkraut. Oh, so I call tell. it drunken sau- sauerkraut. Yeah. Cook long and slow in beer. That's happy sauerkraut. Uh, yeah. Add yeah. some spicy uh, sausages, a little hot mustard, and wash it all down with a pilsner or mm. Irish red. 
we've got a great meal. Speaking of Irish Red, coming up, we have some beer-centric conversation. And our last bite, so don't touch your dial till the end of the hour, is beer-inspired. Beer and chocolate. It's actually a beautiful pairing. Mm. I like the idea of stuffed cabbage if you want to think way outside the box for St. Patrick's Day as well. And you could stuff in a vegetarian style, or you could use ground meat, ground lamb. And we're actually finding across the country some really interesting corned beef offerings this year. I actually found a Wagyu corned beef. Mm. So the Kobe-style American cow Mm -hmm. that produces a really tender, fatty, rich, delicious beef, actually in corned beef style which I think is really smart. Remember, it's just the brisket cut that's been corned or brined with all the traditional Irish flavorings and lots of spicy spices, as I like to call it. You know, you've got the peppercorn, um, you've got coriander seed oftentimes and clove and bay leaf and allspice, and then you make it your own from there. Mm. Well, that steer was born in Ireland, right? Yes. Yes, of course. <laughs> As were all great things, according <laughs> to the Irish. Uh, don't forget to buy some delicious rye bread and make a Reuben. A That's what you're sandwich, doing, right? Corned beef hash. Oh, I love sandwiches. Yeah, yes. I like your hash idea. See, Tuesday, the day after St. Patrick's Day, is the most brilliant breakfast ever, right? Oh, but I think you could make that for dinner on Monday night. Oh, you're making for, breakfast for dinner yes. for St. Patty's well, Day? I think the best thing about uh, cooking a big boiled dinner is making corned beef hash. I like that idea. And you don't have to only do it for leftovers. That's fun. No, that's true. You could have it for the main the main staple. Mm-hmm. And then I, don't forget to top it with a, a, a nice poached egg. Yes. I am an Irish soda bread lover. I know it's not your thing. So I was thinking to try to switch it up. So it doesn't have to be a big round loaf. I have a great Irish soda bread recipe on the website, chefjamie.com. And it has currants in it that you soak um, in Grand Marnier. And so they're happy currants. They could live alongside your drunken sauerkraut, happy sauerkraut. Um, But instead of making the traditional Irish soda bread this year, why not consider making soda bread biscuits? And they don't even have to be round. You can actually form the dough into a rectangle and then cut squares and do like a pull apart bread. You know, if you just score the dough and then you bake it that way, it gets a really nice crust. And because you've scored into squares, that mass of dough, Mm -hmm. you get crust all the way around each of the pull apart biscuits. Mm. And so you get a different texture than you might be used to from Irish soda bread. And I like the idea of mixing it up a little bit. Oh, that's a great idea. And your, your soda bread is so delicious. And this year, I was going to try to add a new version as well mm-hmm. and um, with sour cream and topped mm. with some rolled oats. That's nice. It will take away from the dryness that everyone worries about in uh, Irish mm-hmm. soda bread and fruitcake, <laughs> the two holidays <laughs> of dry true. bread, right? Uh-huh. You could go Irish stews, of course, mm. as your focus. You know, the classic Irish stew, uh, a lamb stew. Think about adding some of the Mediterranean grains to your stews this year. If you're making in the Irish style a lamb stew, throw in some barley or some cooked quinoa or farro and really make a hearty meal. That'll fill you up. And then I like all the green approach too. Like your red velvet cake becomes green velvet cake tomorrow everything green and uh don't forget that green food coloring is safe so you could put it in apple juice or applesauce for the kids oh i love that so that really works out nicely and how about an irish cheddar and irish blue cheese fondue Ooh, 
I thought you were going to cheese plate or platter. That's a killer idea. Yes, and then use an Irish lager in the fondue recipe. And then put out little baby potatoes to dip, and every Irishman will come to your house. (laughs) I love that idea. That's really fabulous. Oh, And then for dessert, do not forget to uh, spike your whipped cream with some whiskey. And use your whiskey-spiked whipped cream to top your Guinness floats. I love to drink Guinness. Don't get me wrong. It's like a meal. That's my favorite that you make. And I will say, though, yes, it is better in place of root beer as an ice cream float. (laughs) Or if you can find chocolate stout at your favorite local liquor store Mm. or beer beer and wine shop, uh, chocolate stout floats instead of root beer with vanilla ice cream and whiskey whipped cream. I bought a bottle of chocolate porter. Yes. They're around. Weren't you going to braise I was short ribs or shakes in it or a brisket. I was brisket. making a brisket in it. You yes. know, you don't have to cook your corned beef in water. You could cook your corned beef in beer and water. Or, oh. you know, in fact, yesterday here in Southern California, I was very proud to speak for uh, Congressman Royce's Women's Business Symposium. 500 women and a few brave men in one big room um, came for uh, Angie Harmon and to hear her story as her, the keynote speaker and then also for some breakout sessions of which I was one of them. And I spoke about food trends and it makes me think of one of those top 10 trends being tea. I mean, take tea and see. We're seeing a lot of tea this year, and you're going to see even more of it. Starbucks even opened their first tea shop Mm. in America, um, and they started by testing it in Asia, interestingly enough. But you can cook your corned beef in tea. There is a recipe online that actually says it pulls some of that saltiness and imparts some of the beauty of the richness of tea. So think about cooking your corned beef in something other than water. You could use any kind of tea. You could use jasmine tea if you want to add a floral influence. Mm -hmm. You could add green tea if you like the tangy approach. You could use a traditional black tea. Mm. You want to make sure that you water it down. The same with the beer, but you can infuse any flavor. What a great idea. Emerald taught me a long time ago that water has no flavor. <laughs> you must season it. That is so true. And and one last thought about uh, cabbage. Instead of boiling it, try roasting it. Yes. Um, cut the whole round into one inch slices and put it on a cookie sheet and roast it. Right. It's like a cabbage steak like you've seen a cauliflower mm-hmm. steak. Drizzle exactly. olive oil, salt, pepper, roast it at high heat. Like we roast our vegetables on a baking sheet. And I sprinkle some rice seeds on top of the cabbage rounds. Oh, that's nice. Great ideas. Yeah, nice change. Definitely so. We hope that your St. Patrick's Day is truly delicious. We will use any excuse to celebrate a holiday full of fabulous food. We hope that your week this past week was delicious. Ours was because we spent much of the week talking about soup and refrigerator soup to be specific here. Um, I love the idea of cozy soup and you have this concept of cleaning out the fridge and Mm -hmm. this is use it up, we like to call it, instead of waste not, want not. It's a wonderful way to clean out your fridge. You take all the bits and scraps from the refrigerator and you make soup. So throw out a couple of ideas if you would, Lana, from your refrigerator soups this week. Because I must say, there were a couple that were I mean, they were all delicious, but two really stood out for me. Um, I 
had some leftover caramelized onions, the remains of a roasted chicken. I threw in a bag of frozen peas and some leftover beef broth and chicken broth. Mixed mm. that all together. It was a great fridge yeah, soup. it was killer. And then a vegetarian version of uh, sweet potatoes that were left over, frozen corn, uh, vegetable broth that I had, as well as some fresh spinach and fresh arugula. Nice. I love that idea of refrigerator soup. So using it all up. And today is a good day on Sunday to clean out the fridge and start fresh. We hope that if you are literally aspiring to be a better cook, or if you just love to cook or love to eat, that you learn something new on this show, because it's our goal to make you a better cook in your own kitchen. And you can cook along with us and master new techniques every week, because these are the methods, the principles, the applications, the processes that we take to our kitchen to make for fabulous dishes. And so the Think Like a Chef feature posted at chefjamie.com this week is all about the art of of breading. It's the standard breading procedure I remember learning from you growing up in the kitchen, but also in culinary school. It is drilled into your head, this three-step process for coating foods in a crispy breading. And you can learn the process and everything breadable at <laughs> chefjamie.com. It's all about the art of breading. Look for Think Like a Chef. And don't forget you could use coconut milk yes. if you'd like, or soy milk. As or, a, in place of mm-hmm, the, the egg wash, the traditional second aspect of the uh, mm-hmm. breading procedure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great idea. I love the coconut milk. Uh, you can cook with Lana this week. Her steamed asparagus with lemon caper mayo is delicious. There are brown sugar caramels posted on the site. And then, of course, if you're looking for a place to buy your corned beef, I have inspiration. You know, we're shopping at Smart and Final because their stores are better than ever. And what I love about Smart and Final is that you don't need a membership card and you don't have to take a picture. You just walk right in, but you get national brand competition like you can find their particular brands at Smart and Final, uh, like First Street Deli or La Romanella, that have been around since uh, the early 1900s. In fact, uh, First Street quality has been around since 1871. Smart and Final has a really long lifespan, and they're only getting better. And so if you want to walk in and get club store values, but really good grocery store quality, then you know to shop at Smart and Final. And their stores are better than ever. They're friendly, they're bright. The aisles are wide. They're easy to navigate. And one of the things I love, too, is that they really specialize. So they're focused on the holidays. And First Street Corned Beef, under the Smart and Final brand, is one of the best briskets I believe you will taste. Corned beef, of course, coming from the brisket cut. You can buy the whole or the cut. It's gluten-free. It's meticulously hand-trimmed by their professional butchers. And it's on special. So find your St. Patrick's Day corned beef available at a Smart and Final store near you. Check it out, smartandfinal.com, and stay tuned for more specials coming up this hour. But don't touch your dial because we're dishing with a brewmaster, Victor Novak, coming up next in your radio, along with a new wine app you won't want to miss hearing about. Plus, the functional foodie, Andy Phillips, joins us with some delicious ideas to make every day healthier and more delicious. There's more fabulous food in your radio. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana, will be right back. I went into an alehouse that I used to frequent And I told the landlady me money was spent 
We're going way beyond mere eating and drinking, celebrating St. Patrick's Day in your radio. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana. No matter where you might be on St. Patty's Day tomorrow, there are craft brewers across the country celebrating with special beers brewed just for the occasion. And we think that Victor Novak's beers are really special. Victor has been the brewmaster at Taps Fish House and Brewery in Brea and their location in Corona, along with their sister restaurant, The Catch, in Anaheim, California, since the restaurant opened in 1999. He is a multi-time gold, silver, and bronze winner at international beer competitions. And it's his fine beer making and craft flavor profile that everybody loves. He's joining us as our resident brewmaster to share the best of Irish ale and to tell you what to drink this St. Patty's Day. We're glad to have you back, Victor. Welcome. Thank you. Always good to be back. Well, thank you. (laughs) Okay, so talk to us if you would, because your Irish red is all a buzz in Southern California. And it's, I would have to say, one of the beers that I love most because it has that butterscotchy beauty and that subtle flavor. And I believe it's immensely food friendly. Absolutely, yeah. The Irish stout sort of gets all the glory around St. Patty's Day, but Irish red is a phenomenal style. You get that sort of medium body, a little bit toasty. It's really smooth. I often tell people it's sort of the Merlot of beer, just because it is so food-friendly, it's smooth, it's got some body, and it's really got a lot of character, but somehow it seems to get forgotten. But it's picking up a little steam. More and more places are doing Irish reds, and, and, and more than just at St. Patty's. And it pairs with food so well. Yeah, extremely well. I mean, if you want some barbecue, sort of the, the caramelized sugars on barbecue or any kind of grilled meat would be phenomenal with the crystal malts. They pair really well. And then for spicy food, that malt balance kind of calms the heat a little bit for Thai and Indian, Mexican, all that great stuff. And cheeses as well. It's a phenomenal beer. See, that's where I was going with it. I think that it goes with just about anything. So you can uh, go barbecue, you can go seafood, you can go big juicy burger dripping down your chin paired with Irish red. Even pizza would be a good pairing, which I think, you know, you made a Merlot association. And it is, it's sort of that universal perfect pairing. But when you mention spicy food and ethnic influence, I think spicy or salty, that, you know, pungent, bold flavor and a pint with corned beef and cabbage is a grand slam. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. Talk to us (laughs) about making your Irish red and what goes into the process. For the most part, when we're making a British style, we use British ingredients. We're making a German style, German ingredients. So here we're using British Maris Otter, some crystal malt, and a little bit of light and dark chocolate malt to give it that red hue and that little bit of a toasty character. Not roasty, because that's more coffee-like. This is just a subtle, sort of nutty, toasty character. Again, with something like Manchego that's a little bit nutty would be uh, just a fantastic pairing. Oh, nice. I like that idea to put out for St. Patrick's Day, Lana, the untraditional approach. I mean, corned beef and cabbage, yes, or maybe do corned beef sandwiches, but you put out a a Mm. big mix of different flavor profiled cheeses. And then you do a flight of beers because you can actually, if you live in Southern California, go to Taps Fish House and Brewery in Brea and pick up a growler of Victor's beer and bring it home. I love that name. Yeah, a growler. growler. I do too. Victor, how did that name come about? Do you uh, know? You had to ask. <laughs> there's, there's no real set definition or sort of history behind the term growler. There's different stories that people tell. One is that when you had villages and each house would basically trade off beer making duties for the most part because beer is food. 
And for the most part, you go back to the term alewife, not to be sexist, but for the most part, back in, you know, medieval times, women were doing a lot of the cooking and beer, you know, was given from uh, really children to old people because it's got B vitamins, carbohydrates, protein, you know, you get your liquid intake if it's low alcohol, one, two percent. And so each little house would kind of trade off making beer and then people would bring over pails and uh, fill up basically beer and, and somehow that got associated with the term growler. But it, it's not really specifically defined where that term came from. So it's always, I always kind of cringe a little bit because I don't know exactly. I, you know, I've read certain different stories. But I know, but, but we know you're a history buff too. So we always like to ask you about the history and the historical aspect of beer. I love that you're selling beer back in the medieval times, even for its one to 2% alcohol content as water in that last comment, by the way. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm very impressed, but it brings me to a conversation we'd love to have about alcohol levels in beer because it's something we talk about with wine very often, growing alcohol levels. And in fact, the alcohol level listed on a bottle of wine, not always accurate with the alcohol level of the wine itself having to stay under the restrictions and requirements, but we're seeing higher alcohol levels overall. The Irish red rarely goes higher than about 6% from my research. And so it's a very smooth drinking beer for beer fans, right? Yeah. I mean, ours comes in about 5.6%. Okay. Really balanced, and that's become sort of a marketing cliche, but this defines balance. It's got just enough hops to keep everything in balance. You've got that toasty character, the malt, and at 5.6%, you can have a couple few pints and still be fine to drive, but as long as you're not pounding them, of course, which we frown upon. It's really just a very, very well-balanced beer, nothing crazy, not an extreme style. To some people, you know, it's not the most earth-shattering style, but to me, it's got a grace about it, a balance that is absolutely beautiful. That's what I love about it. It has a balance. Thank you. It has a fruitiness. It has a richness. It has a lightness. All that come together to make it easy drinking. There are other beers, although we wouldn't drink any but yours, Victor, just so you know, yeah. um, <laughs> that uh, are often drank across the country. It's much better than Guinness. Well, that it is. And yeah. that brings me to a Guinness story. I wanted to talk about other beers that are traditionally considered Irish or often, uh, you know, waited for and certainly uh, indulged in, I will say, for St. Patrick's Day. Uh-huh. I will never forget, Victor, the experience I had in Dublin, Ireland at a bar in an old historic hotel that was quite beautiful. The bar was on the ground floor underneath the rest of the many stories. And right. I will say with beautiful brick and people everywhere, I was delivered a Guinness extra cold, which meant slightly colder than room temperature for the ladies, I was told. And oh. about three quarters of the way through the Guinness, they said, okay, let's go for dinner. And I remember thinking to myself, are you kidding me? That was dinner. Like oh. who, who could eat any more than this big, huge pint of rich, thick Guinness. And it was really one of my first experiences with Irish beers. What's funny is Guinness is only 4.2%. It's lower in alcohol than Budweiser. It's actually the perfect beer to drink in many ways if you're going to be out and you can't be a tap and have our Irish red. Um, But it it is lower (laughs) in alcohol. So again, that idea of drinking in moderation and having a few pints. The best thing to use Guinness for aside from drinking, as I'm sure many who are listening will say, is to bake bread. There is nothing better than using that rich flavor in a bread dough. You get dark color. It's like better than squaw. Well, I would like to oh, use yeah. Victor's Irish red and try that. Road. 
Oh, for sure. I will try your Irish red in uh, bread and let you know, Victor. How's that? New and recipes wh- every day, yeah. Victor. <laughs> uh, Victor, what is the perfect temperature to drink beer at? We serve our beer here at Taft, and most places serve it about 38 degrees. Mm-hmm. But when you go to Europe, it is a little bit of a myth in that they drink warm beer. They generally serve it between 45 and 55 degrees. Just which warmer than 50, us. 50, yeah, right. warmer than ours, but it's really cellar temperature especially in England where they actually have cellars and they're using those beer engines and they, they pull the pint, you know, kind of that little hand pump and they're pulling your pint um, out of what's called a beer engine. And it's coming out, you know, cool, less uh, a little less carbonated. But the analogy I make for my staff here is, you know, with red wine, you don't serve it right out of the refrigerator in ice cold because it stuns your taste buds. The same thing with a good beer. So generally I drink my beer about, you know, if it comes out of the tap about 38, I cut my hands around it for a little bit, and I warm it up a little bit to about 45 degrees. So all those flavor and aroma compounds are coming out that we as brewers put in and we want you to taste. Below, you know, 40 degrees, you start getting into 35 degrees, you don't get a lot of flavor. So not warm, cool, but again, you you taste more at a slightly elevated temperature. But again, we being Americans, we we serve it at 38 because most people here want a cold beer, but I like it about 45 degrees. We like it how you like it. Victor, I think you are so smart. I just love it. Um, leave us with this. If you weren't drinking your own Irish Red, because there are a multitude of beers available on the market that are perfect for St. Patrick's Day, if you would, review a couple and tell us your favorite. Of course, the traditional one is Smittix. They created this style back in 1710. You know, and that's nice. You can find that usually around. I'd like a little bit more body in my Irish Red. So Red Trolley would be the other one. They win medals at, at the Great American Beer Festival, the World Beer Cup. They do really well with that style. It's got some nice balance like mine, kind of toasty. So when I'm looking for a fresh Irish red, more than likely I'd go with red trolley. Of course, okay. I can't drink mine. Well, <laughs> we'll toast you with your Irish red. How is that? And wish you a very happy St. Patrick's Day. We look forward to seeing you at the restaurant. For those in Southern California, know that you can experience the best of Victor Novak's brews at Taps Fish House and Brewery in Brea and Corona and their sister restaurant, The Catch, in Anaheim, just next door to the stadium. And, of course, if you're drinking Irish beer of any style across the country tomorrow on St. Patty's Day, uh, we toast you. Uh, and cheers to you, Victor. Thank you for sharing your passion. We'll pick up a growler, have some friends over. You know what I was thinking, Victor? Mm-hmm. I think that your Irish red would be beautiful paired with a sweet dessert that's caramel and nuts. Is that a good choice? That'd be perfect. Uh, I was thinking like cashew brittle or something sea salt caramel and smoked almonds. Do you want to come yep. over? Absolutely. I'll okay, be you're more than welcome. Definitely. <laughs> I can't so. wait. We look forward to having you on again. Thank you for sharing your passion. All right, Bye. And cheers to you. We do have the best culinary thinkers on this show. Stay tuned. There's more delicious conversation in your radio right after this. California Dream Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. I like to say it's not drinking, it's learning. That's what it's all about. And so raise a glass because this conversation is for onophiles, for wine lovers, for those that love to travel and experience the best of food and wine. You don't have to be a wine aficionado to toss around words like bouquet or terroir or to appreciate a fine glass of grape. But as with everything, we believe that a little knowledge can go a long way and getting to know wine is an ongoing and pleasure filled process 
process that begs for a curious palate and lots of welcomed experimentation. Well, we're delighted to share with you two brand new travel ebooks that will take you not only to the Napa region, but also to the Central Coast with great insight into the wineries there, what they have to offer, and how you can perfect your palate and embrace your love of wine. Tom Silberkleit is with us. He is the publisher and editor of the latest Northern California book, which covers Napa, Sonoma, and Mendocino, called The California Directory of Fine Wineries, and the second edition of the Central Coast book as well. And we love when technology and food intersect. So grab your iPad and sit down with us as we explore these two new apps. We're delighted that you've joined us, Tom. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. If you would, share like in a nutshell what the Northern California edition of the California Directory of Fine Wineries offers, because I love that you have destinations, but you have far more than just that. The California Directory of Fine Wineries is designed to have the landmark wineries that people around the country know and love, like Robert Mondavi and Behringer, but it's also designed to include a lot of hidden gems that folks may not have ever heard of but who are making excellent, excellent world-class wine, and even more importantly, are great places to visit. That's what I love about the app, is it's more travel than just grape. So there are particular wineries that I bookmarked on my iPad that we wanted to share with you. At the beginning of the directory, you'll learn about the etiquette of wine tasting, all about the Appalachians, the Napa, Sonoma, and Mendocino counties that offer different styles of grape growing. And there's a lot of insight. But we came across Bolu and we got excited because, Tom, you should know Lana and I were actually welcome to crush some years ago. Mm-hmm. and That's wonderful, oh, fun experience. Oh, so fabulous. And we sat at BV in the actual garden because they have that gorgeous home on the property as well. And we learned about clones and we drank barrel samples. And those are some of the really extraordinary things that you need to know about before you go to visit a winery so that you get the ultimate experience. And there's so much more, as you're saying, than just the wine when you go to these wineries. I tell people, get off the couch Get in your car, get on a plane, and come to wine country, and you'll have the time of your life. At BV, one of the new things they have going on, the past year and a half, they've opened up the old 1885 stone winery building for Mm. tours. And it's like walking through history. This is where it all happened. And in addition to that, you get to taste these wonderful BV wines. As you probably know, their George de la Tour Private Reserve Cabernet Mm. is just Scrumptious. Yes, outrageous. Mm-hmm. It's I something I don't get a chance to taste nearly enough. But going to the wineries, you get a chance to taste not just the wines that are available in national distribution, but at the tasting rooms. What I love mm-hmm. is you can sometimes taste wines that are only available at the winery and mm. buy them. Yes, we, we have bought some very special bottles. I love the uniqueness of that. When you come home to share great wine, like Michael Jordan, our resident master psalm says, you know, wine is for sharing. It tastes better with friends. And it's true. When you come home and you have that exclusive bottle, Tom, and you can tell the winery experience, there's something really extraordinary about it as well. Lana and I were looking through, and you're a Hess collection Mm -hmm. fan, Lana, and we were talking about Hess, and the beauty of visiting this winery is their art collection. Oh, it's incredible. Yes, extraordinary, too. Yeah, it's up uh, in the hills above Napa, so it's a beautiful drive through the trees. And when you get there, 
The building is fantastic, stone and glass, and you can taste wine, or you have the option of going through Mr. Hesse's collection of art, world-class collection of art that he opened up to the public. There's no charge. That's the beauty of this museum. Mm. And it's a real afternoon for the whole family. Yeah, that's what I love, too, is there's lots of wonderful information for everyone. So maybe you're looking for a mountaintop perch, you know, that you can see beautiful views. Or you have a particular style of wine that you like. You can look through and find the winery that's right for you. Rombauer. Uh, I knew she was going there, My choice. I could have predicted (laughs) that. Would you share some of the highlights of Rombauer Vineyards, please? You know, the exciting thing for so many visitors to California wine country is they love to drink wines at home, like Rombauer, which is a huge, huge favorite wine with a big following. And to get the opportunity to call up the winery and set up an appointment and go visit them is sometimes the experience of a lifetime because this is a brand that people love at home. You drive up through the pine trees to a little mountaintop perch, and it is beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Looking up the valley into a real picturesque scene and to sit on a picnic table and taste the different wines that they're serving, it's a real nice experience, and the hospitality is very, very good. Are most by appointment, or can you just go into them at any time? It's a great question. It's a real mixed bag. Many, many are by appointment. But also, many, many are with set hours. And in our California directory of fine wineries, both the hardcover books and these new e-books, we make sure that the design uh, pulls out this information easily. Every winery has a sidebar where you can find out what's their address, what's their phone number, how much do they charge, do they charge at all, what are their hours, and it talks about all of that information. So you can find out if they're by appointment only or if they have set hours. There's really an extraordinary amount of information within your iPhone, on your smartphone, on your iPad that becomes so incredible a wealth of knowledge when you're in the middle of Napa or having breakfast deciding where you're planning to go. You have all of this Mm -hmm. research done for you. And, you know, we try to listen to what folks are saying. We get calls in our Sonoma office all the time from our readers, and it was our readers who first said, are you coming out with a version for the Kindle? I love my Kindle. I love Ah, my iPad. Do you have one for the Nook? Barnes & Noble makes the Nook. So that's what these are designed to work on. They're optimized for the handheld tablet devices. They'll work on smartphones, Android, iPhone. I know you're a book lover too, Tom, because we know each other a little bit. And I know that you like to hold a book and smell a book like I my fiancé does. I, yes, my, my house is so full with books, <laughs> I don't even have room on the shelves anymore. Right. But the tactile feeling, I run into so many people that love As you said, Jamie, the feel, the smell, the way you turn the pages. And our hardcover books are designed to be small books. We don't want these books to be too heavy because they are meant to be taken with you. And that's another reason that the e-books are so popular for Kindle, iPad, Nook. People can just go on their trip and have their handheld device with them. And that's what I love about it, too. Oh, is which I love so much. The and convenience. The have so much functionality yes. that's oh, really cool. Yeah. Did you know that Simplicity. from each winery, if you want to shoot a winery an email, you just touch the screen. Yeah, they're all interactive. That's mm-hmm. right. It's really fabulous. I want to take a quick car ride 
south a little bit, please. Because I would be remiss if we didn't talk about what Wine Spectator has named as California Wine Country's new frontier. You have a Central Coast book that highlights Santa Barbara, San Luis Obispo, and Paso Roble. And there are some really wonderful family-owned wineries there, and some of them almost undiscovered or just newly discovered, that are making some really exceptional wines. And I think it's a really important area to highlight and it's a separate app that you've actually just released and lots of hidden gem wineries in there I found we picked out Cambria to discuss right at the northernmost tip of the Santa Barbara County line yes just a few miles from the sleepy town of Santa Maria yes. this whole region is so cool it's nothing <laughs> yes. like Napa Sonoma Mendocino mm-hmm. it's like a different country different style of winemaking different type of grapes equally good, just different. So Cambria Winery, it's a favorite because you drive way out through the vineyards and other crops that are growing in this little farm belt region, and then you think you're lost. You think you've reached the end of the world, (laughs) and suddenly you see up on a knoll some type of structure, and you follow the signs, and there it is, Cambria. The wines are so good, and again, it's another instance where when you go in there, it's usually not going to be too crowded, and you are welcomed like royalty. The people are so friendly, so giving, and that's something that makes me feel great when I walk into a new winery. But the wines, they're fantastic. Mm, I love watching the fog come in and out Mm -hmm. with the Central Coast plots of land specifically because you really see that climate and the weather, and Cambria just happens to be one of, I think, the most beautiful of the wineries, so I'm putting it on my list to visit next. Okay. For sure. There are so many smaller wineries on the California Central Coast. Santa Barbara County is covered, San Luis Obispo County, Paso Robles. We're even covering some of the new little tasting rooms that are popping up in the city of Solvang and in downtown Santa Barbara. Some of these little tasting rooms, they don't make enough wine to distribute. So Hmm. you've got to seek them out. But let me tell you, once you taste some of these boutique wines, You'll never go back. You'll go crazy thinking about these. There really are some extraordinary places to visit. You can print out maps directly from your brand new ebooks. Take your smartphone, your iPad, your Kindle, as Tom listed, all of them, and look for the latest editions of the California Directory of Fine Wines, both covering Napa, Sonoma, Mendocino, and the Central Coast, Santa Barbara, San Luis Obispo, and Paso Roble. If that isn't enough motivation, I don't know what else is. Tom, just pour us another glass, if you would. I would okay. love to. And if people <laughs> want to see photographs from the e-books and yes. our hardcover books, they can go to our website, CaliforniaFineWineries.com. Perfect. It's a long name, but it's easy to remember. CaliforniaFineWineries.com. Lovely. We'll put a direct link from ChefJamie.com. Hopefully they know that one well, Tom. Mm -hmm. And we'll be sure to continue to support new additions and the extraordinary exploratory possibilities of finding new wineries and creating memories with wonderful wines. So thank you for your passion. We truly appreciate it. Thank you. It's my great pleasure. Thank you. Cheers to you. There's more delicious conversation in your radio right after this. Don't touch your dial. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio, improving your life one meal at a time and bringing you all the flavor every Sunday. 
You know, you might just be missing out on some really vital information on the foods that you eat on a daily basis. And you might be delightfully surprised that everyday foods have miraculous powers. There's a new book just released called The Functional Foodie, written by Andy Phillips and Ann Nix, and it's all about the 50 powerhouse ingredients that go gourmet. It's really, I think, a very interesting concept to consider that some of your favorite foods can be so healthful and delicious and still great tasting. So we're going to cover some of those delicious ingredients themselves, and Andy Phillips joins us live. She is a culinary instructor, a writer for Better Nutrition magazine and has been cooking and writing recipes for more than a decade. We're glad to have you, Andy. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yes, of course. Okay, let's get right into it because I love the idea at the introduction of your book that you talk about, and I quote, there is a pervasive belief among foodies and health nuts alike that eating healthfully means bravely stomaching wheatgrass and smoothies and bland tastes of food. But the truth is there's lots of wonderful ingredients that we're eating that we might not even know the benefit of, starting with, for instance, avocados. Yeah, avocados are fantastic for your skin, for your mental health, including things like Alzheimer's and anxiety. It's also good for your cardiovascular health. Mm. There's been some studies that suggest that it's even good for your libido. Oh, thank you. We're glad to know that. (laughs) In fact, I'm going to eat more of them. (laughs) (laughs) I love the quick tips in the book as well, because you give a lot of culinary inspiration in that I think many of us forget mashed avocado is a great substitute for a spread on a sandwich, or it allows Mm -hmm. you to cut down on mayonnaise or some of the richer sauces or even dressings. It makes a terrific salad dressing. I like to throw an entire avocado, of course, the peel and the pit removed into the blender. You can add in a little bit of low fat buttermilk, or you could even do it just vinegar and oil-based, but oh, you the get vinegar the vinegar contrast with the, yes. the fattiness of the avocado mm-hmm. is lovely. You mm-hmm. get the creamy texture as a substitute oftentimes for dairy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what you're doing is you're not only removing the bad stuff, you're substituting in the good stuff. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a multifaceted, mm-hmm. um, positive option. And the mouthfeel is what we're all looking for. Yes, for sure. I thought it was so interesting to read about black beans in your book because there is evidence as far back as 7,000 years, as you say, that they have been extraordinarily good for us. And in the recent Consumer Reports Food and Fitness magazine that came out at the beginning of the year, there's an entire piece, Andy, if you haven't seen it, on purple foods. And black beans fall under the purple food category. Absolutely. You know, the the, the saying is to eat the rainbow, but how many purple foods do we know of besides eggplant? Right. So, but the black bean does fall into that category, and it's so good for you. Talk to us, if you would, a little bit about the health benefits of black beans and what specifically to buy, because there are a lot of choices, in fact, whether it be canned or dried, to get the most out of your beans. Okay. Well, dried is, of course, the, the better option because it doesn't come with the added sodium, Um, but canned is fine if you rinse, Uh, but the benefits include, again, the cardiovascular health, the help with the cholesterol. Mm -hmm. People often think of vegetables as being bad for diverticulitis and, you know, other gastrointestinal problems, but black beans actually help prevent constipation. Yeah, because they're great big fiber bombs, which I think is fabulous. And one thing that we need to remember too, when you're trying to eat leaner or cleaner, that fiber fills you up. And tasty. They're tasty. 
I agree with you. I love the black bean falafel recipe that you share. It reminds me of a black bean burger um, that we have posted, in fact, on the website. Mm -hmm. And we'd love Mm -hmm. to post your recipe. Andy, are you okay with us sharing it? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. Good. So there'll be a direct link to an excerpted recipe from The Functional Foodie, the new book released from Andy Phillips, posted at chefjamie.com with a direct link to Amazon so that you can order the book for your collection as well. Uh, Lana, will you take us to the sweeter side? Oh, uh, dark chocolate, of course. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And the nutritional information is so promising. It is. We're always glad to know that something that we indulge in often or crave, Andy, is on the list of go-to healthier foods. Yeah, and dark chocolate's (laughs) amazing. What's great about the dark chocolate is that it, it can be added to savory dishes without, you know, people hear that chocolate's in mole or chocolate's in some other savory sauces and chilies, and they're like, well, wait, it's a sweet food. But really, chocolate has an incredible number of flavonoids, which is what makes it so healthy. Staying on the sweeter side, Andy, I was interested to read, I have a maple syrup addiction. I happen (laughs) to love maple syrup, and I believe in the chef's choice in maple syrup, which our listeners know, but I have a, a great joy in repeating, and that is that chefs always choose grade B maple syrup. It's what the maple syrup producers, specifically, of maple syrup keep for themselves. It tends to be richer and more delicious. It's sort of like buying the best quality olive oil, but this happens to fall under grade B. And I thought it was interesting to read about maple syrup in your book because sugar is often considered an empty calorie, but maple syrup is very rich in minerals, which makes the sugar consumption worthwhile. Yes. And again, you're adding a lot of flavor. And when you add flavor, you can cut back on the sweetness. Mm -hmm. The minerals that you find, magnesium for bone health and production. These are things that you don't think of when you're taking in sweet things. Leave us with this, because I would be remiss if we didn't mention pomegranate. Uh, The ancient Chinese believe, as you talk about, that it could actually impart immortality. So we know that the pomegranate for many, many centuries has had great value when it comes to a food source. Also, what people love it for is for the brain health, depression, Alzheimer's disease, help with things like bone loss, breast cancer, just it's such a dark, rich, red fruit. And, you know, the darker the the fruit, the more flavonoids it has, the more healthy it is. I thought it was interesting. It almost falls under the purple category, Mm -hmm. Andy. (laughs) Yeah. I like that the juice, as you mentioned, was ranked healthiest fruit juice in a University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA study. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My only caveat there is to be careful because it is so nutrient rich. Yes. Start slow. Yes, and a pleasure to have you. Congratulations on the book. Um, We will share an excerpted recipe from The Functional Foodie once again at chefjamie.com with a direct link. Thank you so much. Hmm. And that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation. And we sincerely hope that we've made you hungry. We'll leave you with our last bite, our last ounce of, you know, delicious inspiration. And Lana, you, you go first. Well, I love a fruit pie topped with a crumb topping. Oh, you're thinking spring. Oh, yes, most definitely. (laughs) So it's a simple recipe, and you could prepare the crust and the topping ahead. 
I like that idea. Which It'd be nice. great to bring to a St. Patrick's Day party. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of bringing chocolate beer truffles tomorrow night. Mm. I've already teased them on Facebook at Chef Jamie Gwen. I'm going to post the recipe now. It is a basic ganache recipe. And the truffle ratio, by the way, um, when you make ganache is two to one, chocolate to cream. But what you do to make chocolate beer truffles is you take out three tablespoons of the heavy cream and substitute three tablespoons of rich dark beer use a porter or a stout or even a chocolate stout if you can find one and then uh, of course roll your truffles and then uh, coat them in unsweetened cocoa powder and pour a guinness or a chocolate stout alongside serve the chocolate beer truffles and if you really want to gild the lily you roll them while they're still wet after uh, you know between your hands becoming the a ball you roll them in chopped pretzels so you get salty pretzel texture on the outside of a chocolate beer truffle mm, are you in nice green sugar oh that's be cool too i like it mm. we're celebrating saint patrick's day and every holiday we can think of for delicious conversation of course the jewish holiday of purim just a couple of days ago and homentashen on the counter right now in fact uh, but please do tune in next sunday for more fabulous food we're talking about beautiful truffles we're dishing with master sommelier michael jordan and we're cooking with an asian accent in your radio next sunday right here on kfwb news talk 980 serving up seconds until then at chefjamie.com and on facebook and twitter at chef jamie gwen we're toasting you and wishing you a really wonderful saint patrick's day with family and friends and fabulous food and we thank you for listening i'm chef jamie gwen along with lana signing off we hope you continue to eat well The preceding program has been brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment.